Striking While the Iron's Hot to be your authoritative voice for New Mexico soccer. Welcome to We Are Seek and Strike Podcast, sponsored by Roughneck Scarves and Icarus FC. Brought to you by Beautiful Game Network. Find us on the web at seekandstrikecollective.com. Good evening and welcome to another episode. I'm your host, Chris Walker, and with me to my right is Alicia. Alicia, how you doing tonight? I'm doing good, thank you. How about yourself? That's good to hear. Yeah, I'm doing well myself. I'm happy we're back together talking New Mexico United on this Taco Tuesday. And with us is Adri. Adri, how you doing tonight? Hi, Chris. Hi, Alicia. I'm doing great. And like you said, uh, we're happy to be here at another Taco Tuesday. That's right. We're here live at the Salt Yard East recording this episode. And one of the things I wanted to jump into about our episode right away was the good news hearing that there would not be nets up during United matches, but that the nets would be only up for baseball games. Is that right? Yes, correct. And that was announced on Saturday with uh, RJ and David and their new uh, show with ESPN, I believe. Called United Weekly. Yes. Initially, I think some people thought that all the nets were coming down, but no, the nets still behind home plate will stay up. It just prevents nets from going up along the dugouts to the foul post. This is definitely seen as a victory for New Mexico United fans, and it's still going to keep the Isotopes fans safe from flying projectiles. Over the weekend, New Mexico played a friendly in El Paso with Locomotive FC. We didn't actually get to watch any video of this match since it was a closed-door friendly. But there were Twitter updates, and we were updating Facebook along with the curse. Hats off to... Local pod, seriously loco, for sharing updates as they were live tweeting. So we know the result ended in a 4-1 victory for New Mexico United. We heard that a couple of the new guys got scores. Sammy Sergi got two goals for a brace. Yes, and then uh, Romeo Parks ended up getting one, and the other goal was from Bees in a free kick, but it resulted in an own goal because it deflected off of a defender. Going into a friendly like this, I would have definitely have wa- liked to watch this myself to see what the run of play was like. We get kind of a description from the online post that some of the goals were uncontested. And after seeing the guys in the inter-squad scrimmage, we can guess that obviously they were getting after it. Going into a friendly like this, where you have two new guys scoring the goals... How does it make you feel to know that they're already trying to get into the back of the net, not wasting any time? It makes me feel a lot better considering we do still have very talented forwards from uh, last season. It makes me feel better like if we do the Open Cup this season, we still have players that we can rely on. That way we don't end up uh, losing points that end up hurting us in the end of the season trying to make it towards playoffs. I got kind of curious as to knowing what formation they were in, but the best that I could figure is looking at a GIF image that Locomotive shared where it shows Suggs sliding in for a tackle as Distel Zola gets the ball and scores on his goal, and then looking down the distance you can see Raiden and Tete and who appears to be possibly Padilla, uh, so we can obviously gather that it's a four back and that they're in a four two three one 
Um, and of course, I'm just curious about formation just because we still have the three center backs and I'm guessing that that we probably still have Schmidt possibly playing uh, behind Raiden or splitting time with Tete. And uh, what really surprised me was in some of those pictures, you see Schmidt on the bench. And it makes me wonder, like, did they do that combination that I'm hoping for, which is uh, uh, Rashid and Raiden in, in the center box? That's actually a really good question. I'm still wondering if they will send Suggs and Padilla up the sides high and roll with three in the back, just based upon the graphics that we saw from the inter-squad friendly. So after the inter-squad friendly, we asked Troy what the lineup might be for the friendly against El Paso, and he didn't really give us much indication of whether he would use the veteran players or whether he would use the new players. Um, he really wasn't phased about what lineup he needed to use against El Paso, and, and somewhat quote Troy, he said, I'm sure El Paso's not worried about us, and we're not worried about El Paso. So that being said, how do you feel about him using the new players in the lineup for this friendly? I feel great about it, considering it is a friendly, it does not count against our record. I think now is the time to go for it and see that new talent there, and to see what they're made of, to see if also they are worth the starting 11 during regular season, Open Cup, and uh, postseason. What do you think, Adri? Well, I think is uh, he's going to use a combination of, uh, you know, the veterans and the newer ones. And I think that um, this gives a lot of confidence to the peop to the players that are already there. And it gives a lot of confidence to the fans, knowing that the newer, you know, players scored. And it gives definitely confidence to Troy. So I think um, in the next few friendlies, he's going to continue to do that because... They, he wants them re ready, ready to go. So when, you know, the official first game is, they have that confidence. Now, originally, we thought this was a closed-door friendly. We could not find out any information about where this match was, as I definitely did want to go out there. And then as we're looking on the Internet, lo and behold, we see all kinds of 8th Notch fan supporters there. And so we realized that this was probably a special little... Uh, event for the supporters only um, but still what were you thinking when you saw all kinds of eighth notch supporters in the background my initial thought is that they're scared of us they uh they said closed door but they invite their fans they know we're gonna show up they know it's gonna be nothing but black and yellow in those benches and it could potentially embarrass the eighth notch group because of how little their fan base is compared to ours it definitely would have been the real deal if they allowed us to go there, so it's probably good that they kept it semi-closed. It was kind of like that uh, Tigres-Santos match seemed like a closed-door friendly, considering that VAR was nowhere to be found when it was very obvious that the goalkeeper uh, made the uh, action towards going to kick the ball, but really grabbed the player in front of him and just tripped him up. Adrian, I know that you had commented on that on the internet, and I thought we would talk about it tonight on the show. What did you think about that? Yes, it was very obvious that uh, the keeper actually, you know, intended to go against the defender. 
and so from uh, Santos. So I commented on that because I said, I think that's one of the worst I've seen, where the keeper takes the opposite and just, you know, deliver it, just kicks them in the back and he doesn't get called for it. So reading the, all the comments there, everybody agreed that it should have been a red card for the keeper for Tigres. So yeah, I was surprised they didn't even look at the bar on that one, but I mean, just, it was a bad call. It was shame on him, shame on him. I actually didn't get to see it, but I know when I was a keeper, I was always told to protect myself first. It's always me before the forward. And if it looks bad, it looks bad, but maybe it was unintentional because when you're going out there one-on-one, -on -one, it gets dangerous and you have to protect yourself. Yeah, that was, um, normally they're pretty good out there. Normally as one of the teams, you know, that, I mean, they came up, you know, they're, they're one of the best ones out there, but yes, he lost it. I think he lost it. He put all his hands and his knee on the other player's back, so. I think it was intentional, but I mean, how many times we see stuff like this happen and, you know, now it's, we have a bar, so I'm surprised they didn't even take the time to look at it, but. Now I'll have you know that moments before I was looking for a Liga MX team and I was going down the standings looking at the cool names and I saw Tigris and then I saw that and I was like, mm, I don't know. That kind of makes me question the quality of referees going into the 2020 season based on all of the bad calls or non-calls we saw in the 2019 season seems like it's gonna be quite the show i mean just look at how it went in that game i'm surprised that that was allowed to keep going i mean typically when the calls aren't being made both teams have to play through that so it's never usually an advantage to one or the other it's though it seems that way sometimes i mean we don't even have var but nonetheless i just hope that the right calls get made we definitely don't have that and we had a lot of that against us last season so hopefully you know they were able to watch replays and learn from that and maybe you know get us better quality of refs this time around so one of the things I wanted to highlight on this podcast episode were the different USL uh, team-based and also league-based fan podcasts that uh, I typically like to listen to during the season. kind of helps me gain kind of a wider perspective on what's happening around the league um, in case I've missed reading something in a blog and also kind of wanted to recommend some other fan casts to the listeners in regards to the different team podcasts because it's always interesting to hear what the other team is talking about and to be able to gain a little perspective. One of the shows I like is called Three Honest Lads. Um, I don't remember what it was originally called. It had a difference um, title that uh, escapes me at the moment. That I found it very provocative. Um, anyways, what I like about Three Honest Lads, it's Tyler Taron and uh, Devin Kerr. And, you know, they typically just give you a good roundabout perspective of what's happening in USL. Uh, sometimes they'll talk about League One. And uh, they will try their best to kind of bend your ear as far as teasing 
uh, some things that are happening around the league. Um, I think it's very it's very entertaining nonetheless and and how they do it. Tyler Terrence has so much energy. Uh, I had gotten to talk to him recently um, through another podcast and uh, the guy's just got so much going on. Um, but uh, I definitely do like Three Honest Lads. Uh, obviously, the third person is typically the guest that they have on their show. Uh, so, Alicia, have you listened to any USL-based podcast? No, I actually haven't had a chance to listen to any of them. Um, I mostly just listen to, I think it's Steel sometime with Kelsey Steel. Right, yep. I, I listen to that once in a while, but other than that, not really. So I definitely got to throw in a shameless plug for the uh, Beautiful Game Network. Again, the uh, network that brings you We Are Seek and Strike podcast as well as the Curse Cast. Uh, we're both uh, shows that obviously talk about New Mexico United. But to get into some of the other shows that I listen to on Beautiful Game Network um, that are more team-specific I listen to Back Chat, which is Switchbacks FC. Uh, they don't typically do episodes very frequently, um, so it's kind of hit or miss with them. Uh, hope that they do more, of course. Uh, then there's the other football podcast, uh, which kind of focuses on Las Vegas Lights. And, of course, they will talk kind of sports desk related, so they'll cover other topics that are not just uh, soccer only, if you will. Uh, very comical guys for sure there's off pitch which is the okc energy uh, focus podcast and then there's orange and black soccer cast i've been on that cast it's pretty cool um we talked new mexico united we also talked about the chicken sandwich wars if you can get an idea from that uh ray dylan allen cool guys on that show uh, rising as one, obviously, you know, that's the Phoenix rising podcast. And, and, uh, you know, I listen to their show to hear kind of what they're talking about regarding their team. You know, sometimes, you know, I would expect them to be just completely drinking the Kool-Aid, but they're very realistic about their team. And other times I'm surprised that they may not necessarily be sipping the punch, but, uh, we do like to banter with those guys. We've been on an episode as well that was pretty fun uh, and, and hope to definitely do some collaborations going forward. Uh, 1868 Weekly, I haven't listened to that one, but that is the Reno 1868 dedicated pod. Hoping to uh, brush shoulders with those gents this year. Down in the Valley is the RGV podcast. Old Glory Red Report is the Sacramento Republic podcast. And then Fairweather Pod, and that's the new San Diego Loyal podcast as well. Now, there are some podcasts that are not on the BGN. I don't know why. They ought to be. Uh, but there's the uh, Three Birds Bold cast, and those are the guys out in Austin. And then there's the Center Circle, which is the Real Monarchs-focused podcast. And then there's the San Antonio, Texas Soccer Show, or SATX soccer show and that they speak more about uh the san antonio fc uh definitely just a handful of 
of podcasts that I listen to that are team focused. Of course, there's the USL show, uh, which, you know, uh, one of my favorite hosts on there is Pony. Um, I'm hoping to get Pony on this podcast sometime to talk New Mexico United. Uh, he's definitely got some interesting views about the club, um, you know, and uh, and I'm really interested to maybe talk to him after the first 10 games. So I'm going to be definitely shooting to get Pony on the show. But getting back into our team, we just had a new team signing that was announced. Alicia, you were going to tell us about this gentleman. Yes, so our newest signing is Jordis Alanvi, and he is from France. He is also another rookie next to uh, Sammy Sergi. He did come from Indiana University, but he was in the Super Draft with FC Cincinnati. No, he did not play with FC Cincinnati. It's kind of confusing right there. He is number 26 for New Mexico United. He is a midfielder, but New Mexico United has him listed as a forward, so I don't know how that's going to work out for him. For Indiana University, he had a total of 10 appearances, 2 starts, and 2 goals. And I was looking at his highlights, he seems like a really solid player for being um, a midfielder. I couldn't see him as a forward. To me, he would be more of a of a high forward, probably forming a triangle with the two forwards on top to try and create more opportunities and having either Guzman or Hamilton being a holding mid to somebody is always there in the center mid. Adrian, what did you think of this new signing? It came out at 12.01 midnight, definitely something different from the club trying to stay creative. It was a surprise. Um, For a moment I thought we were done, but I did hear the rumors about one more coming in. Um, I had no idea who he was. Um, of course, I looked him up right away. Um, I didn't see much of him, but you know, it's great to have all those options. I mean, people were so concerned. The fans were so concerned on, you know, when are we getting new signings? And they kept pushing it, pushing it. And all of a sudden, we get all these people and. Uh, I mean, I'm sure Troy knows what he's doing and he's, you know, he's going for it. And I I, I really like his idea. I really like that, you know, we have all these options. And a lot of competition is going to, we're going to see this 2020. One of his teammates uh, had retweeted on Twitter. Uh, His name was Hugo Faro. Perhaps that's how you say it. I'm not too sure. Uh, but Hugo, just a major shout out to you. Uh, he was just kind of talking about Joris. And he was just saying that on the pitch, he might be one of the best players that he's seen in the U.S. Uh, and 1v1, he's just unstoppable. He's freaking fast. Um, he was saying in their first training together when he had gotten to Florida International, they were doing a finishing exercise. And Joris had probably scored 20 out of the 26 goals and they were all really uh amazing goals he said off the pitch he could be very quiet and calm you know he cares about soccer workout and sleep he's very determined uh to do his best in everything that he's doing and that ultimately you know he's just he's just a brother to him and um you know he's very stoked for him but we we had saw that he had retweeted new mexico united on twitter and so i was like man i wonder what this guy you know would have to say about 
obviously someone that he's played with and, and has a very unique vantage point. So uh, Hugo is uh, the goalkeeper over at uh, Florida International, so definitely keep an eye out for him as well. I haven't really got to see a lot of footage on Joris, but I'm really excited to see uh, how he integrates into the pitch. And I'm kind of wondering if this is the third signing from the inter-squad friendly that we didn't get to see. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I never knew that there was a third trialist. And now with this signing coming out of nowhere, it kind of does seem to fit the, the puzzle. So maybe he is, and they really looked into him, and they said, you know what, we'll give you a shot. Hopefully we'll be able to see some footage of him and some of these upcoming friendlies, a.k.a. these uh, not-so-closed-door friendlies. P.S. Amanda Powers over there at uh, FC Tucson, if you can pull any strings for us to see some footy, uh, for those uh, Phoenix Rising or FC Tucson friendlies, that would be so awesome. So now we'll jump back into the roster breakdown. Last week we cut our teeth talking about the defenders and goalkeepers. This week we'll jump into the midfielders. Uh, I know Alicia kicked us off talking about Joris uh, Livni. And uh, I know right now you'll jump into telling us a little bit more about Andrew Tanari that we then we didn't know last week. So Andrew Tanari, he is more of a center midfield. He did come from the Tampa Bay Rowdies with 22 appearances, five goals, and five assists. And in the Tampa Bay Rowdies of the last season, he did play with David Najem, and you can tell he has a little connection going on there with him. But before the Tampa Bay Rowdies, he did play with the New York Red Bulls too. And there he got to play with Najem and with Moreno. He had 36 appearances, 7 goals, and 3 assists in the New York Red Bulls season with, in the 2018 season. Seeing him out there in the entrance squad, he seems pretty solid. If Guzman were, something were, happen, were to happen to him, hopefully it doesn't. Um, Andrew Tanari, you can rely on him to step in and take his place. Or it's going to be a competition between them two to see who gets to start. He is another solid player out there in the center mid who can really um, hold it down. Yeah, I definitely got to listen to a little bit of Andrew Tanari on the Raising Bulls podcast. Um, he seems like a very square guy. I got to look at a little footage as well and uh, read up a little bit on Wikipedia and seeing that he had... Um, also listed as a defender as well as the midfielder he is listing as. I wasn't really sure if Troy was going to do much work in the middle in the offseason, being as how we unloaded some players from the middle and we still had some quality guys there, but uh, you definitely can't go wrong with competition. It'll be good to see uh, some of the different looks uh, that the team will have having Tanari in the midline, and I wouldn't doubt it if he made his way into the back at times when needed. So moving on, did you want to tell us about Juan Pablo Guzman? Yes, uh, Guzman. He's on. He's another one of our international players from Colombia. He's more of a defensive mid. Um, he plays a little bit higher than Sam Hamilton, but they're right there in the in the center mid. 
For New Mexico United last season, he did have 29 appearances with two assists, no goals. Before us, he did play with OKC, where he had only six appearances. I wonder what happened there, because in 2017, he had a total of 25 appearances, two goals, and one assist with OKC. I was, I'm wondering if he got hurt or maybe a contract or something. I have no idea. I tried to look into it, and I could not find a single thing. But with Guzman on the field uh, last season, he did a really solid job of controlling that. When he wasn't there, it really seemed like something was missing, and it was him that was missing in the center. He's um, He was the one that would give uh, the balls to to the wings and the wings would cross it and that's where most of our goals came from. That's a very good analysis, Alicia, to pick up where the goals came from. And Adri, I know that you wanted to talk about uh, Daniel Bruce, correct? Yes, um, I did uh, look up uh, some stats on Daniel Bruce and, uh, you know, we all love Bruce. This is um, our 23-year-old 510 English boy and uh, I can just say that the yellow and black army just fell in love with Brucey. It looks like every time he came into the pitch everybody will even everybody will even cheer for him even when he wasn't on the pitch. So what we all have to agree on is that Bruce deserved a lot more time, a lot more minutes uh, for season 2019, but whenever he was there he did his job. He did it very well. I have that uh, he plays 17 matches, two goals, and two assists. So every time he came in the pitch, he did his job. And the fans just, just love Bruce. And we hope to see more of him uh, this, this year. Uh, he plays the right wing. He's really, really one of, you know, one of the fastest guys on the, on the wing. So we hope to see that. And, and what I like about him, he's not afraid to push up. He's fast enough to do so, and he assists very well in the front. So I really like that. And you were also going to tell us about David Estrada. Yes, um, David. Well, we all know David. He is one of the most talented and probably experienced guys uh, coming from MLS teams and uh, putting all that experience also in the in the wing, uh, center wing. I believe that the time that he got, um, we all appreciated that. He also, you know, he's everybody. All the fans really, really liked uh, David with all his experience, and I think that also the players appreciate that very much because. You know, he does his part on the field, and also we've seen a lot of David outside the pitch. He's very involved with the community. He's very involved with, you know, the kids, community centers, a lot of uh, community work he does. So, you know, he's, uh, like you said before, it's very important to do their job in the, in the pitch, but also outside, and he's one of those guys that really gets involved. And, and he likes to write also, so we've seen a lot of, or a little bit of his writing um, in the previous season. So um, David gets very, very involved. And you were going to tell us more about Sam Hamilton, who'll kind of round out uh, the players that you were looking at this week. Well, Sam, uh, he's from Denver, Colorado, 24 years old. Um, he, pl- he started playing D- uh, 
defender when he first started or the season first started 2019 and um, he got hurt and correct me if I'm wrong but it was probably the third game I'm going to say um, yes I'm not sure when the injury happened but he was out quite some time as he returns we've seen him playing in his I guess natural position which was a, a center mid and I believe that suits him very well. That was his position from the beginning. Not that he didn't do well as a defender. Uh, he did his job as a defender, but when he came into the, when he came back and started playing as a midfielder, he gave that the team a push. He really was just all over the pitch. We've seen him, you know, um, back and forth. So I really liked him as a center, um, a midfielder. So he. He did very well there. We'll see what he's going to do this time around this year. Um, like you said, they picked up on a lot of you know, center uh, players, so we'll see. The competition's going to be real. You're definitely right that the competition's real, and we've heard Peter and Troy say that um, that you know it's all about the competition and the positions this year, so it's going to be very interesting to see uh, which players are vying for some quality minutes and who are hungry, and to see how long that sort of competition lasts amongst the team. All right, so I've got a couple of players this week that was was my homework assignment as well. Uh, so I was going to talk about Salim Mohammed. Uh, Salim Mohammed is from Richmond, California. He wears number 16 on the pitch. Uh, he's played two years in Croatia. Uh, it's listed on his Wikipedia that he played for Hosk and Dekovo. Um, he also was a player for the San Francisco Deltas, and he played on the League One team, uh, Penn FC. He made 17 USL appearances. He had five cup appearances, and he has no goals in his career so far. Now, in the offseason, you could see on his Instagram that he was uh, somewhere else. I think he was in New York, and he was kind of working on speed and agility and really just trying to get strong uh, for this 2020 season. Uh, some of my more favorite matches with Salih uh, have to be even in the uh, the friendly with Cardiff City last year as well as uh, some of the matches he came in about midway. Uh, just ball control with Salih, being able to um, really take what they were learning uh, week to week in training with stepping in gaps and ultimately uh just communicating between the mid and defensive lines and really seeing how that translated. Uh, I think Salih is going to be a stronger player for us this year. And who knows, you might even see him take some shots. Now, Ryan Williams is the next player that I have. He uh, hails from Mililani, Hawaii. Uh, he's attacking midfielder. He wears the number seven. His college career was at John Brown, the Golden Eagles, and he had played in 73 matches. He had 27 goals. Uh, so I, we're definitely really waiting to see Ryan turn up here in New Mexico. Uh, he played for the Charlotte Eagles through 2014 and, and 2018. He had 38 appearances, 6 goals. And then lastly for New Mexico last year, he had 15 appearances. Uh, for New Mexico with two goals 
And, uh, you know, there was some time where, where Ryan was injured, uh, so it did limit us. But there was one particular match uh, I got to give a shout-out to to the gent because, uh, you know, he came in clutch off the bench uh, each time that he got those goals. But in El Paso in the beginning of the season, uh, we were we were not able to attain the lead. We were down a goal each time, and Ryan Williams was brought in uh, in the last uh, 20 minutes, and he gets a header uh, into the back of the net and ultimately brings us even. And, uh, and that was huge for us in the season to have players come in and really contribute to the scoreline. Uh, do you remember that match? Yeah, I remember. That was the match afterwards where all the locomotive fans were saying that it was an offside goal. And if you look it back at the tape, one of the defenders was right in the corner, uh, all the way far out behind Ryan Williams, so in front of the goalie. And, I mean, it wasn't offside. His efforts alone really just give me uh, hope for the 2020 season that in our match day 18 we'll have other players that can come in and resume some of the tempo uh, from the previous uh, guy that's in the in the lineup uh, that we'll have players that can come in ultimately and create chances as well as execute. Um, we definitely do have a stronger lineup now where I think that we've got players uh, for two teams and nonetheless um, that's going to make a, a bigger impact for us. So I've got, lastly, Chris B's Weehan. So Chris is out of Orange, California, another Cali boy like myself. Uh, he's a central midfielder. He wears number 14. He played locally for your UNM Lobos. He was in 80 matches. He had 31 goals. I'm pretty sure he's, he had set a scoring record somewhere in there. Um, he came up through OCSC's uh, U23, and he had made his mark. Uh, and his rookie season in 2017 with Reno 1868, uh, he had eight goals and 12 assists. He was dubbed the assist leader as well as the rookie of the year. And it was actually kind of interesting because he was a rookie the same year that Santi Moar was a rookie. And, uh, you know, we had came out with, with that sort of, uh, accolade. Um, so after, Weehan's bang-out year with Reno, he ultimately earned a, himself a conversation with uh, their parent company, which was San Jose Earthquakes. So they signed him to a deal. He played in some MLS games, but ultimately they shipped him back uh, to Reno 1868. So I, I'd say that was kind of a, a raw end of that deal. Uh, he goes in, obviously plays out the rest of that year, you know, season's over. He's down here in New Mexico, so a familiar uh, setting for him. And ultimately, is you know, he sets out to really make a mark. Uh, and so the season uh, is one that seems very prosperous for Weehan. I'd say I think that there are some some things that he probably wish he could change and that probably is just really improving his numbers uh you know to go from having a stellar rookie season having kind of a dip the next year and then really not necessarily having that 
same year as your rookie year, but just trying to get into a new system. Uh, he does wind out getting 10 goals and 6 assists in 2019, so 10 goals is his career best. Uh, I'm sure he's happy about that. 2020, you can pretty much count on Weehan trying to, uh, you know, exceed his assists. Uh, personal best as well as his goals while still being a team player obviously looking to finish up uh, all the chances that are in front of him and uh, you know I think that all in all with Chris Weehan you've got a player that not only can you put him in the middle but you can put him up on top so he's a huge asset for New Mexico United going into 2020. Uh, so do you guys have any moments uh, where, or any moments or any sort of uh, Chris Weehan uh, stories that you'd like to talk about? El Paso game here at home. I believe it was a hat trick. I can't remember. But that was when we won El Paso 3-0. And he came to celebrate with myself and my family and that was like a really awesome moment to be able to share with him yeah that is a very cool moment uh when players can come and celebrate uh with you after uh hitting one of their personal best in a match uh, i definitely uh i think he was trolling my twitter during the year hoping that he would get that hattie anyways uh adri do you have any moments Oh, and before you share one of your moments with us, that was almost a hat trick for Weehan. It was something I had put on my Twitter that I thought he was going to get one, but he was close. He didn't get it. But, Adri, go ahead. Tell us about a moment that you think about Weehan has really been an impact during the season. Oh, and before you share one of your moments with us, that was almost a hat trick for Weehan. It was something I had put on my Twitter that I thought he was going to get one, but he was close. He didn't get it. But, Adri, go ahead. Tell us about a moment. I just like how he is the corner kick taker, and uh, he that's what he does best. I mean, he puts it in the box, and uh, whether he comes from a corner kick, from any angle, he's fast, he's, he's um, very confident, and uh, he... I mean, he surprises us every time. There's always something about him on the pitch. He stands out. Now we'll kind of move into the last segment of these primer episodes uh, where we're talking about a 2019 recap with teams we played against, um, how we did against those teams, or maybe moments that, that stood out to us. Um, Alicia, I know you're going to kick us off in talking about Las Vegas Lights. Las Vegas Lights um, was their second year in the USL last season, which was our inaugural season. The first time we met them around was after Open Cup, and that was when everybody was saying if it was more of an Open Cup hangover because we lost to them 5-1, which was really unacceptable. We shouldn't have lost to Las Vegas Lights, especially at their stadium. They just don't make sense with the kiddie pools and a bunch of other stuff, too. And the second time around was our last game at home. We won 2-0. And 
with that one it was a pretty emotional game for everybody we made playoffs uh, winning against them and san antonio losing against the switchbacks we made history that night making playoffs all the players were pumped they were taking pictures we lasted around that stadium after the match was over for a good hour and a half celebrating with the players las vegas lights ended up at 13th on the table with 11 wins 15 losses and eight draws with 34 points and they did not make the playoffs but like I said, I hope hopefully we do not get that open cup hangover that we did last season because these wins, they cost these losses, I mean, they cost us in the end and we we can't afford that this season. I'll tell you what though, cash drops from helicopters and shooting glitter on the pitch. You know, I'm hoping uh, that I could go out there this year. Hopefully it's more than petting llamas and uh, and scraping dollar bills off the pitch. We're trying to get that W. All right, next, Adri, you were going to talk to us about Reno 1868. Yes, uh, Reno 1868 FC was uh, founded in 2015, um, and it plays professional soccer in the USL. Uh, It made its debut on USL Championship in March 2017. Um, Looking at, and I have it right here, looking at the standings for 2019, they made second place with uh, 34 games played, and uh, it looks like they had 72 goals and 51 against. So their statistics are pretty impressive. I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, they had Sergio Rivas too back in 2019. He's a local. We were hoping he also came on our roster, but he didn't. Um, so um, looking at the statistics, I mean, they did very, very well in 2019. That's a team we have to look out for. I think the interesting thing about the first time we had played Reno uh, was that it was really one of the first times we watched our team go down uh, in the scoreline and you know normally they find a way to equalize but in this instance they had gone down um, so late into the match that by the time they really tried to snap together and and put together a rally they just ran out of time now of course Sergio Rivas got the first goal in this match so it was definitely sort of like the nail in the coffin uh, when you looked at the whole match it was the Albuquerque uh, kid who had gotten a score against uh, the New Mexico team. Uh, definitely, when I wrote this up, I, I wrote it up as uh, two New Mexico suns shining uh, just because it was, one, it was great to see uh, Rivas get his first goal and, and get a, uh, you know, and have it be something kind of memorable as far as playing against the New Mexico squad, but on the same token, it was really awesome to see New Mexico or see Chris Weehan, for the most part, be able to go back to Reno here as now a more established professional player. And and he was going to have, obviously, a match that could sort of avenge, uh, you know, his previous year but it didn't turn out that way he kind of left empty-handed nonetheless 
when Reno came back around to Albuquerque, you know, surely it was definitely supposed to be uh, Chris's night. It was going to, you know, put it on Reno right there in Albuquerque in front of the home crowd. You know, I thought some of the different narratives that were going to play up were going to be uh, Sergio Rivas coming home to Albuquerque and being able to, I guess, play in front of a local crowd, if you will. But he was actually injured at the time, so he didn't make the trip. So that kind of changed the narrative, I thought. Um, but uh, we had old teammates just pretty much put a good... Uh, they put a good showing a defense on him. I mean, he was not able really to get any sort of good looks. The only time he had a great look uh, on the goal, uh, you know, basically it was called offsides. And other than that, uh, you know, there was this one moment in the match where uh, where Wean had, uh, he had hit the ground for some reason. I, I think he had just got tripped up and uh, the other player on the other team had kicked the ball and it had gone towards his face and he was just livid and he had stood up and they were like in each other's face and uh it was it was a crazy moment definitely heated and and, and passionate but um we didn't pull out that game and so you know you know again i guess you just kind of look at 2020 and say okay it's a fresh year and there's reno it's still a team that he's obviously going to want to do really good against so uh we'll see what this year holds Reno won 18 and lost 6, so their numbers are pretty good. Yeah, to be sitting at the top of the table uh, is a very impressive thing. Uh, they were actually the team to end the 20-game win streak for Phoenix Rising. That is correct. Now, I watched that game. It was pretty awesome. Could you imagine if it was our team that broke that streak? Man, I was hoping it would be us because we were going to play right after that game against Phoenix. And I was like, you know what? Just let them let Phoenix win and let it be us that breaks that streak because when they come to us, they haven't won. All right, so I've got Timbers 2. So they finished... uh, 14th uh, in the USL Western Conference, so they did not make playoffs. They're a two-team for Portland Timbers, and this is their, or that was their fifth season in the USL Championship. Their record was 10-8-16. They had only won five at home, and, and the most memorable moment, really, between New Mexico and Portland Timbers was when they had come to New Mexico and uh, we were both fighting for the sole position at the top of the table and New Mexico had gone up 2-0. Yeah, we were up 2-0 and then they caught up and we were tied and then we were down 3-2 and literally in the very last second of that game, Kavon Freider released a shot and we tied 3-3 and that was freighter's hat trick and i remember going back and listening to the broadcast and hearing the announcer and he was like it's freighter it's freighter and he was just just going off and it was just such an amazing uh time to see uh it be one a big night for kavan as far as a hat trick but then two just how our guys played until the very last seconds just playing back that shot in my mind, I believe it was Devin Sandoval that had set him up. 
Yes, it was Devin, and it was crazy to see because I believe we had like what three minutes of extra time, and it was in the 94th minute, so it was go home, go big or go home, basically. Yeah, now, when we went to Oregon, I think we thought we needed to get at least points on the road. Portland was playing a little bit better at that time, so uh, ultimately, a draw would have been would have been better than. Then the loss we ended up getting, we lost 3-2 on the road. So that one was kind of a a devastating blow for the team. The last team we were going to talk about on this episode is Tacoma Defiance. And Elisa, you have Tacoma Defiance. So Tacoma Defiance, I do not think they go by Tacoma Defiance anymore. They're the Sounders FC. They do, they do. Not online on the what? yeah no it's Sounders FC two now, and they are affiliated to the Sounders, and David Estrada did come from over there, and his little brother does play for the Sounders too, so really I didn't know that yes they did he like posted it last season that he was excited to be playing against him and stuff like that, they ended up seventeenth on the table, kind of dead last next to the Switchbacks. With 34 points, 8 wins, 19 losses, and 7 draws. We won the first time at, at their stadium 2-1, to one, but we tied here at home 1-1. One, one. Yet again, another crucial game that was very important to get to clinch a spot for playoffs. Now what do you remember about the first match against Tacoma? I honestly can't remember that game. So in this game, Tacoma Defiance, a.k.a. Sounders 2, they had come out and actually scored uh, against New Mexico in the first two minutes, and they had caught New Mexico off guard. And then from there, these young academy players just uh, did well with keeping the ball away from their goalkeeper and really just uh, making it harder for New Mexico to score. Uh, this was the other instance where Ryan Williams scored, and he scored to draw the game close uh, at 1-1 and the 37th minute of that game. And then also in the same match, uh, this is where we saw Freighter take seven shots, and he had that phantom speed, so he was able to burn defenders and get himself out front, but he just couldn't get anything in the net uh he ended up getting the second goal for us uh that was the same time that the team had taken 22 shots in a game which was far more than they had been taking games before that they were just taking like 13 to 14 shots uh i I remember them saying it was all about taking purposeful shots versus just taking shots Oh, yeah, I remember that. I believe it was after the Orange County game where Freighter kept trying and trying and trying and he just couldn't get it and he finally got it with the Sounders. I'm starting to get memories back from that, but it overall, I mean, it, they, the Sounders were a good team. And look at them, looking at them here at home, they're a pretty solid team. It's nothing but young players and they have a lot of potential. The second match was definitely... Just ridiculous. I mean, they, <laughs> Tacoma, they had come to New Mexico and literally 
you know, we looked up the average ages of these kids uh, playing, and they were just 18 years old playing against our more experienced older men playing on New Mexico. And, and you know, it's like Tacoma Defiance did everything they could to keep us out. I mean, they had only four shots on the night, two on target, uh, whereas... New Mexico had 36 shots, 14 on target, and they had scored first in the seventh minute, and then Chris Weehan had equalized at in the eighth minute, and then from there it was just that was the rest of the game. I mean, we had 604 passes to their 400, we had 84 percent accuracy to their 78. It was definitely a game where New Mexico dominated but just couldn't get it done. Yeah, and going into that game, we just came off of a loss against Tulsa. So you didn't really know what our players' mentality was, if it was like if they were hungry for it or if they were like, is it going to end up like Tulsa again? Should we even try? Well, yeah, definitely during that part of the year, we were uh, trying to get all the points we could get. We controlled our fate until we didn't, and... You know, we really just hope in 2020 season that uh, that the team will not struggle against the young academy teams like Tacoma Defiance. Now, interesting enough, we are playing Tacoma on a Taco Tuesday this year. It is our only Tuesday match, so we will be eating tacos while beating Tacoma. No, it's Sounders FC2. They're not Tacoma anymore. Man, we're going to have to check that one out because the internet does say Sounders 2, but everywhere else it says Tacoma Defiance. We'll see. Now, lastly, we have a friendly coming up uh, with OKC Energy. Yes, it will be taking place this Sunday, so hopefully we get some footage or, you know, just going by updates again on Twitter. Going into this match with OKC, I mean we're one one or we are we had one win and one draw against this team. We did not lose, uh, so that's definitely got to be a good uh, confidence factor. Of course, it is a different year, and I'm pretty sure that uh, Troy isn't resting on the fact that they have a successful record against this team. They realize that any team could be any team, uh, but. For us, the fans, you know, to look at it and go, okay, well, they do have a great record against the team. And of course, OKC did bring in some stellar signings over the offseason. I can't say that they necessarily did a complete overhaul, but they definitely do have some uh, attacking threats on their team for us to be looking at. Well, I mean, we did pick up a red this past game against El Paso, and they haven't said who it is. I hope we get a little more this this time. I definitely do think this game with OKC is going to be high impact. Whether it's a friendly or not, we do know that uh, our team is definitely scrappy and feisty. So, you know, we do expect that that this will be an all-out friendly where they're going for it and trying to pull that win. I mean, they did do exceptionally well 2019 season in their preseason friendlies as well 
And, of course, next week we're going to have David Carl and possibly R.J. Montano, the Duke City dynamic duo of the Curse cast, on the show where we can interview them and ultimately find out what's going on with them as far as the Curse Year 2. Uh, we know that they did just go to the Independent Supporters Council or conference. I know that that was very interesting, and I would love to find out more about uh, that and what it means uh, overall for the supporters group. Uh, so definitely stay tuned to them being on the show. Is there anything else that you ladies want to talk about before we uh, draw this uh, episode closed? Uh, no. Well, kind of. Um, do you think that we are going to stay at a 22-man roster? It does kind of seem like we're just about done with the signings. I would be surprised if any more players came out. Um, But, you know, if you could look back at this year's offseason, I mean, we picked up some amazing picks in Raiden and Amando Marino, as well as Tanari and Ejim, and even Joris. Uh, So if this is it, then I definitely think that um, we're sitting really well. I would probably grade the signings at a BB plus. I feel like nothing was filler. We picked up quality guys who could actually play versus guys that would just ride the bench. Well, then we're going to go ahead and wrap this episode up for Adri and Alicia. And I am Chris Walker. We are out. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to We Are Seek and Strike Podcast, brought to you by Beautiful Game Network. Find more USL-related podcasts at bgn.fm. To never miss an episode, consider subscribing wherever you get your podcast. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the episode. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Seek and Strike Collective. Lastly, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas? Looking for a unique, completely custom kit for your youth club, Sunday league squad, adult, or even pro team? Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Let them help you design your new custom kit today at IcarusFC.com.